This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And today, I am so delighted to be joined by my great friend, Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin is an offensive left tackle, now with the Arizona Cardinals. Drafted as the 248th pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, it did not seem like the quote-unquote experts thought that he would be a force in the NFL, but he has since started 99 games with the Steelers, the Jaguars, and the Jets. He and his wife, Jessica, a nurse, have three children, and Kelvin's work with Bread for the World, Feeding America, World Vision, and other charities led him to be the Jets nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I saw this firsthand. When Newark had a water crisis last year, Kelvin immediately and personally arranged in conjunction with Jess sponsors and lots of other companies for huge amounts of bottled water to be delivered to Newark and spent days delivering it himself. Uh, Kelvin said this upon uh, receiving the Jets uh, Walter Payton Award. God granted me the opportunity to play football at the highest level. I didn't want to use that opportunity just to play football. Serving others, fighting hunger, providing clean water access, providing STEM opportunities for minority youth, that's my calling. I just want to be a great disciple of Christ and a great service man. Kelvin, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. I love the title of this uh, this podcast, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, before we get into your uh, the, the verse that you chose to discuss, which is Daniel 6.10, which is so interesting because I had never read the book of Daniel at all before you, uh, you suggested it. So thank you for that opportunity. I just want to uh, go into how you responded when I first asked you to be on the podcast. So I asked you, um, on a Wednesday, and you said, I'd love to, but let's talk again on Sunday because I'm going into a fast. Yeah, uh, you caught me at, a, at an interesting point in time. Uh, every year, uh, heading into training camp, I usually take a couple of days and I fast. You know, my dad, it was funny, my dad called me once I, I got out on Sunday and he was like, how does your campaign go? And I was like, campaign? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I've been fasting. He was like, well, you were campaigning for strength. You know, you were, huh. you were asking God for strength. And I've never heard him call it that. But it's, it's for me, it's a consecration. Um, it's an opportunity to, to really be silent, uh, opportunity to, you know, really subdue my body and submit my body to, to what God is calling me to hear and what I need to hear from from God. So, you know, I started on Wednesday night and I finished up on Sunday afternoon at 2.30. One of the longest fasts and consecrations that I've been on. So does that mean, when you say fast, does that mean um you didn't no eat? Food. Yeah, no food. All no food all from all Wednesday night till Sunday? Yeah, no food. Wow. So all I'm, all I'm having is, is, all I'm drinking is water. Um, That's all you're drinking was water? No protein drinks or anything? No protein drinks, no no mixed vegetable shakes, no keto drinks like I, I drink from time to time. And what was different, I usually get to go back to Mahaya. I usually go to my to my grandfather's church in Mahaya, and I usually shut in, which I find even more valuable because it's truly personal one-on-one. Um, we, we, we say shut in, you mean um, just go into the church and don't emerge until the fast is over? Correct, correct. But, you know, with COVID going on right now, not the you know don't have the ability to fly. Well, you do, but it's just not safe to fly. Right. 
And then if I were to drive, it would have been like 15, you know, 16 hours straight from, from here in Arizona to, to my hometown. My wife didn't feel that it was smart to, you know, leave the house, um, drive by myself, you know, probably most likely be fasted as I was driving. No, you can't do that. And then, and then week when I came out of the fast, driving all the way back home. So we decided to do it here, which was interesting. So, you know, my kids, you know, they're having lunch and dinner and breakfast and they're like begging me to come sit at the table like why am i not at the table so it was uh it was it was an interesting fast but at the same time i got what i needed which was again just being able to to, to listen and, and and be in the word and have a chance to just be quiet which which for me is is needed especially getting ready to head and turn account yeah i mean when, when i asked you about the fast and you responded that sunday night your response was so beautiful and so meaningful that eric and i read it to our kids as an example of what uh faith can do to really inspire a person. And I'll just read it to everybody. You said, so I asked you about the fast, why you're fasting. You said, I was uh, listening to God. I was begging for forgiveness and I was campaigning for strength in many areas of my life and being in close communication with our savior. It's a must as, as more has been added to my plate. It's so true, man. Between kids, uh, you know, having a wife, you know, trying to, trying to be as, as attentive to her needs and, and the needs of my kids. You know, this is the fourth team that I've been on, you know, in my career. So, uh, favor because I know I'm gonna need that coming into to to a new environment. I mean, there's just so many different things, and, and it's it's hard to it's hard to to, to bear these things alone. Um, so this is again an opportunity for for me to, to to I'm not gonna say push the blame, but allow me to to move some of these burdens and some of these stresses to 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 God, who I know can handle all those things. So for me, it's it was a special time. It's the time that I I usually take. Every year that I've been taking for the last couple of years, I took it, you know, did it before I got married, did it before I got engaged, did it immediately after I blew my knee out back in 2015 and have been doing it, you know, uh, consistently uh, for the last four years. So this is the fourth year that I did it in this particular fashion. The uh, trainers on the teams uh, say it's OK to fast for a few days. You know, I don't I don't tell many people about it. You know, my 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 parents know about it because when I go offline, I don't I, I cut off social media as well, so I don't have access to a phone or anything like that. So if I don't if they don't hear from me, they know where I'm where I'm at. So you know, they're not worried and making sure that nothing is going on. But the only kind of person within my team, as far as kind of either the people that work on me or my trainer, is my trainer. So outside of my trainer, nobody, my personal trainer, nobody really knows that that I'm on that. But the team doesn't know, teammates don't know, uh, and I don't. I think it should be that way. This is not a a public facing thing that I talk about a lot. But it's not for self edification. It's really for um, self reflection. So, you know, keep it among those who care, which is family and, and parents and, and kids and my wife. Well, it, it is inspiring. So, um, let's get to Daniel six ten. So, uh. Tell us what happens in Daniel 6.10 or just Daniel 6 and why Daniel 6.10 is so meaningful to you. Yeah, so, you know, and I, I got a lot of my resources out, so I hope that's fine. Great. Uh, but, you know, in Daniel 6, this is when King Darius and the Persian government, you know, are making some decrees within the land. And Daniel, you know, who's already been a very upright man and people know him to be upright, um, is praying to his God and has prayed to his God consistently. This is the same chapter in which, you know, the story of Daniel and the lion's den is talked about. And some of the, you know, the, the high priests and things of that nature felt that, you know, Daniel shouldn't be praying to his God. And he's thrown into uh, the lion's den. He makes it out of the lion's den. And instead of Daniel dying, he survives. 
And the king then throws, you know, some of his people who are in power into the lion's den and they die. But what I what I really enjoy about this particular passage of scripture is really Daniel 10. And the Bible it says, now when Daniel knew uh, the writing that was signed, he was sent into the house, his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God as he had did aforetime. And this passage for me was, is, I mean, it's not a passage that's kind of striking and kind of blows your socks off. But what I find about this particular passage is the, the study of posture. And I did a study on huh. posture, I want to say a couple of years ago, just the ways in which we approach approach God. And it's, 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 you can be on your knees, um, you can be standing, you can be flat on your face. It talks a little bit in many parts of, of the Bible. It talks about laying prostrate. And I just find this particular passage to be, again, as I'm getting ready to head into camp, is, is something that's so powerful. No matter what Daniel was going through or what, you know, what was happening within uh, that particular time and, 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 and government, um, the king, what have you, I think I can't write, nobody can. King Darius. King Darius. It was it was fascinating that he continued to to pray consistently. He continued to go back to his knees. He continued to open his window towards Jerusalem and continue to pray. So for me, I just find that passage so so appealing, so relevant because I was thinking and, and considering even what's going on in our society right now. Um, if Daniel was 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 living right now, I think Daniel would still be opening his window toward Jerusalem and still praying three times a day. So just find the, the passage to be inspiring. Um, and there's so much you can pull out of it. But the, that was kind of one of the things that I, I wanted to, you know, just touch on because, again, the, the the fact of him praying, the fact of him going into isolation, the posture in which he took and the consistent posture that he took, right? Uh, no matter the decree that came from King Darius, uh, no matter, you know, the outcome, which he didn't know at the time, but, but going into the lion's den, you, he, he knew whatever he was going to do and however he was going to be treated, perceived, that praying to his God was the most important thing to him. That's right. And and uh, it's such an interesting passage because it seems from reading it like Daniel uh, achieves, I, I suppose, very much like Joseph. He achieves prominence in the court of a Gentile king. The Gentile king likes him. Um, in this case, the other people who've achieved prominence seem to get jealous of Daniel. They seem to convince the king to have this decree saying no one is to pray for 30 days. And as as you said, Daniel insists on praying just as he had every other day, like nothing had happened. Nothing was going to interrupt his commitment to God or the constancy with which he expressed it. And, you know, you bring up, you know, another great character and another great person in, in Joseph and and how those two have parallels and, and being able to to, to go up the, the, the chasm of a government in spite of their own beliefs. You know, Joseph had a much longer route to get to that point, but both, right. you know, parallel being able to go up to the chasm of of, of of government at the time. And, you know, I, I find this to be very interesting because, you know, some people aren't aren't OK in their own skin. Like they're they're They don't right. have conviction to be OK with just who they are. Um, and if you look at both those characters that we've talked about today, both 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 men, both Daniel and Joseph. They were very committed to being exactly who they were and whatever moment that was. I mean, you think about Joseph and Potiphar. It doesn't it doesn't matter what Joseph 
was doing, he was still committed to 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 one being an upstanding uh, upstanding young man, um, in whatever environment he was, he was committed to his God in whatever moment that was. Same with Daniel, whatever moment that was, he was committed to his God. But I think that that lends to the conversation that you have to be content and okay with who you are, and you have to be committed to who you are. And you look at both men; neither one of them were afraid. Neither one of them. You know, they didn't, I call them jellybacks. You know, some people, they, one way, one day, another way, another hmm. day. These were men that were very, very content and very, very committed on who they were and, and, and what their purpose was. And they were cool with being in those positions, but they were also very content with praying to their God and no matter what circumstance that they happen to be in. So for me, I find that it's something magical and something special about having your your own conviction. And you look at both men, both men have their, their own convictions. They absolutely did. And, and both their convictions were deeply rooted in God. Joseph cites God all the time, as does Daniel. And I think the constancy that you point out is so important um, for, for us today, but also in the story, because it says, uh, when, when the king s- speaks to Daniel, he says, the God whom you serve regularly, and it's I think it's the, the regularly, I think this is 617, that is uh, that's so important is that is that the king regularly or continually, depending on the translation, is that it's the constancy, it's the continuity, it's the regularity of Daniel's prayer. When Daniel kept on praying after the king was tricked into issuing his decree, he just prayed as he had always done, exactly like you said, because he was comfortable with who he was. The king could forbid him from practicing his religion. It wasn't going to change how he practiced it, the posture he had, the number of times he practiced it. And there's this very interesting uh, uh, passage in the Talmud which is um, effectively a competition among rabbis where they're asked to cite uh, the most important verse in the Torah. And uh, uh, Rabbi Akiba, perhaps the greatest of them all, says the number one verse is love your fellow man as yourself. Ben Ozzi says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. On that day, God created the creation of heaven and earth. Another rabbi said it's Shema Yisrael. Another rabbi said it's love your fellow man as yourself. And in comes Ben Pazi, who says no. And he cites this verse from the book of Numbers, which says, you shall sacrifice a lamb in the morning and sacrifice a lamb in the afternoon. He said, that's the most important verse in the Torah. So the Talmudists universally judge the winner to be Ben Pazi, because it's the constancy that's the most important. It's not the spectacular one-off event that defines who we are. It's you sacrifice in the morning and you sacrifice in the afternoon. And that was judged to be the most important verse in the Torah. And that's what it seems like the king is responding to here. He says, this is what you do regularly. And it's it's the continuity, it's the constancy, which is so important for Daniel in the Talmud and for all of us today. You know, you know, something to, to, to piggyback off of that is it, it just shows you that if you're consistent and if you're committed to being consistent and if you're so rigid in that consistency, it's other people that will talk about you. And it's crazy if you look at this passage. It's not Daniel that needs to talk about that he's praying regularly and daily. That's right. It's the king that then comes back and talks about that he's praying regularly and daily. So that just lends to him. Again, it's not about self-edification. It's not about promoting ourselves. It's about allowing foreign God to work through us. And it's not us that has to talk about what we're doing. It's a great point. People around us, because we're living now, we're living a life. And, you, you know, you talk about the rabbi to talk about you sacrifice in the morning, you sacrifice in the evening. You're living a life because you're doing that sacrifice consistently. Exactly. You're no longer having to, to talk about it. It's it's being done. It's put into action. And I think with, with no matter where your faith is at, where, what religion you come from, what that ethnicity you come from, if you're working out your faith and working out your own soul, you know, your own soul salvation daily, you don't have to talk about it. It's those around you that see it. 
and they talk about it, you know? Exactly. That's such an interesting point. Daniel, he he says very little. He just right. does. He just does. It's, it's an action word. Praying right. is an action word. It's not, it, you don't have to go and promote your praying. Right. Praying is an action word. It's a relationship between, you know, you and you and I, Heavenly Father. Like, it's, it's, it's very simple. But it's action. It's, 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 it's working. You know, much like we do on a football field, you know, we, we, we work, we, we go, we, we, we do stuff. And it's, you know, fans who get to enjoy it. You know, I think in, in the passage of Scripture, when, when you look at Daniel, Daniel is just doing the work. And it's something special. Again, I, you know, I love, you know, the, the concept of beating to your own drum, having your own convictions. He has his own convictions. He's doing it because he wants it. He loves it. Um, he believes in it. And it's consistency that drives him, to, again, going up to Cassism. I mean, going back to Joseph, it's the work. Like, he was in the dungeon continuing to pray and interpret dreams over and over and right. over. It was nothing of his own. It wasn't nobody outside the, the, the jail beating the drone or trying to get Joseph out of jail. Nobody. Nope. All he was doing was doing the work. He was pe- doing the work. That's right. He, he was acting and God, and God uh, responded. And it's so interesting, you know, given your point that Daniel doesn't say anything. He just acts. And then people respond to being inspired by his actions because the king basically gets Jewish theology perfectly upon observing Daniel. So Daniel doesn't say anything, but this is what the king says in response. So he observes Daniel. He observes Daniel just continuing to pray despite the decree. Daniel's thrown to the lion. The king says to Daniel, I basically, I hope your God saves you. The next day the king comes and you could just almost imagine how nervous the king is. He says to Daniel, like, did you make it? And then a voice comes and says, my God, close the mouths of the lion. So the king is happy that Daniel survives, but then he gets Jewish theology perfectly. The king does, the Gentile king. He said, for he is the living God. In other words, in that God is the God of life. God is the God who, who wants to operate in history, in the world, as distinct from a God who, like a lot of pagan gods do, glorifies death and wants sacri- human sacrifice, which is very common in ancient days. He says he's a, he's a living God, exactly right. And then it says, and then he gets Jewish theology really perfectly. He said he rescues and saves. I mean, that's how God defines himself as the God of the Exodus. He rescues and saves. That's what God is. God is the God defines himself. His his most important act was actually not creating heaven and earth. It was taking the Jews out of slavery and bringing us into freedom. And the king gets that by watching Daniel. Daniel has it's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. And it, and it's and it's and it's amazing to see all the different parallels and how those things come out. God is a God of rescuing. God is a God of life. And it's seen, you know, throughout the whole entire Old Testament. That's right. You know, it's a God of life. Uh, it's, it's so funny. When I was thinking about uh, this conversation, I, I thought about, and kind of also, you know, you, you talked about, when we talked about the fast earlier. You know, you think about one of the old, one of the smaller prophets, you think about Jonah. And when Jonah went into the belly of the fish, his purpose was to go to Nineveh to be able to go and preach repentance to the people in Nineveh. That was his sole purpose. And what did God do? God gave him life. He rescued him from the belly of a fish. Right. And he went and asked the people to, to, to repent. So when you think about that, it's shown so many times throughout the Bible of repentance, you know, God rescued him. And the fact that God is a God of life and it's shown consistently throughout the Old Testament so many times that God is a God of life. So it's, it's amazing to see Daniel 
in this passage. I mean, you think about it. I mean, again, I mean, you think I've I've, I've been to, to to South Africa and and I, I saw a lion huh. walk by us. We were we were actually on a on a truck on a safari. We saw a lion, you know, very very calm lion <laughs> walk by us. But can you imagine a hungry lion in a lion's den when he's supposed to eat and God closes the mouth of a lion? That's no that's no easy feat. No, no easy feat. All night, and a, and a lion is hungry all night. That's that's no easy feat at all. That's right. But 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 Daniel has the constancy, and then and then God rescues and saves because the king probably observed that God rescues and saves. But it's it's also what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, "I want you to be a light unto the nations." Mm-hmm. It's like you know, how are you supposed to bring people to God? Not not by speeches or sermons or trying to convince them of anything. You be the light. Just be like Daniel. In other words. Act in a way that people want to say, I want to have what he's having. I want to have what she's having. And then uh, that's what means to be the light unto the nations. And that's what Daniel is. He has this constancy. His faith in God is so is so strong that that there's nothing that's going to stop it. And the king is so inspired that he learns almost perfect theology just from observing Daniel's actions. So what, what like when you talk about the, the Jewish theology and, and him being able to learn that, do you think that was something that kings were even willing to even consider during that time? Well, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I think the answer, it's a great question, but I think the answer from just reading this passage is, is yes, because um, we know from the beginning of, of Daniel 6 that the king liked Daniel. The king, the king knew Daniel was a Jew and uh, liked him. He was like uh, the first pharaoh in Joseph. He was his um, Jewish advisor to whom he had great affection and respect. Of course, the other people in the court were jealous of Daniel and they tried to kill him because they knew they probably knew he would pray anyway. Then they probably knew that he would. So they knew he would pray. They tricked the king into issuing this uh, decree to send anyone who prayed to the lion. And they figured the lions, they figured quite reasonably the lions would eat Daniel. But the, the king, um, the king seems to be quite open minded. He's very open minded. And uh, does he become a Jew? No, of course not. But but that's never the Jewish goal. The Jewish goal is never to convert anybody. The Jewish goal is to be a light unto the nations and help people realize the one true God in whatever way they do. But no, there's one true God who's a, who's the God who rescues and who's a moral, ethical God who loves everybody. And that's what the king seems to have realized at the end. So Daniel achieves the great Jewish mission, as you said, just by acting. There are no sermons. He just, just acts. Just acts of kindness. You know, not only say acts of kindness, just acting. Right. Just doing what you do every single day, beating to your own drum and being very consistent and just doing that. Well, it's, I, it's kind of like again. we were telling our kids when, when about you, like when we when we read them your note about why you fasted. It's like this is Kelvin's actions. Like, you know, this is a man's relationship with God. Just think about it. Like this, is what we're telling the kids like, you know, I mean, people respond to actions uh, so profoundly as as it's shown here, as opposed to to words that are unaccompanied by actions. It's powerful. It's a very like I said, very, very powerful passage. One that I, I hadn't been back to in a while, but it, it was one that that was on my heart when you asked me because I've never, never been asked to 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 come on and and, and talk about Jewish theology as well as as, as Christian theology. So um, this was the first for me. Well, this is a, one of the one of the many great books we share. So uh, um, just uh, switching to a question on a on a, a different topic, but um, this this question doesn't derive from the Bible, but it derives from Andre Malroux's 1968 book Anti Memoir. He said, I just uh, ran into a man with whom I had served in the war. And he said, uh, this man has saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. And I said to the man, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. One, 
people are much less happy than they seem. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. That's powerful. People are not as as, as happy as they seem, and I've never run into a grown-up person. Right. You know, it, the thing is, is, you know, you think about a grown-up, and I'm going to kind of touch on that one first. You think about a grown-up, a grown-up is supposed to be somebody who's obedient, who has a great understanding, and someone who really can heed and understands instruction. You know, I actually posted something on, on Twitter and, and Instagram yesterday and talked about obedience. And I'm like, I'm 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 grown and I still struggle with obedience. So, you know, am I grown up? No, I'm still probably still trying to figure it out. Uh, and when you talk about the first point of, of, you know, we're not really being happy, I think it goes back to, to the conversation we've had today that you're not happy in your own skin and you're not comfortable in your own skin, you'll never be happy. Well, they'll never be content. That's right. Well, that, 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 I think that's exactly what the priest was saying. Now, interestingly, there is no Hebrew word for obedience because in Judaism, we don't even have a concept of it. When there's no word for something, there's no concept of it. So that's what the, the uh, parish priest said. Those are the two things. So if Andre Malraux were to ask you the question and he were to say, Kelvin, in your um, eight years of playing in the NFL, what are two things you learned about mankind? That's a tough question. Two things I've learned about mankind. It's a really tough question. I would say, the one thing is, I think as as mankind today, we really don't understand the concept of empathy, like as as a society. I don't think we understand how people have hurt or have been hurt, nor can we really understand how to resonate with those who have been hurt. So I think that would be the the one thing that I've learned in my eight years, you know, just of this recent, you know, actions sure. of, of humankind, just the fact that we just I don't think we really understand empathy. Number two is there are people in, in, in the humankind race who do have a heart. Like they do have a heart. They have a heart for people. They have a heart to serve. They have a heart to see people rescued from some of the, 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 the unforeseen circumstances or very hard circumstances that they have going on in their life. But those are the two things. And I, and I know they're very they're kind of starkly different. But at the same time, I think those are the two things that I've learned is 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 in humankind. We don't we don't have enough empathy. But at the same time, in the same the same race, we do have people who do have a heart and, and people who want to see change in our world and want to be a part of the change, be a part of the solution. That's so interesting, because, um, you know, the point about empathy, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to Adam Smith, who said that um, and this is probably writing in the 18th was writing in the 18th century. He said that. Um, he, he was talking about a gentleman of England. And he said, if a gentleman of England were to hear that 100 million people in China died in, I don't remember which, some kind of natural disaster, he said he, he would speak uh, very seriously about how terrible it is and how tragic it is. And then he would go back about his business and he would be more upset if he lost uh, his little finger. But, you know, it's that it's the people don't naturally have this kind of empathy. And I think one of the great things the Bible does is it tells us you have to love the stranger. In other words, it's not natural to you, but you have to do it. You know, we don't have to be instructed to do things that are natural to us. No one ever said, whatever you do tomorrow, go to the bathroom when you wake up. Like if something's natural, you don't have to be instructed. But because empathy doesn't come naturally, the Bible over and over again tells us you have to love the stranger. Right. And the thing is, I mean, the, 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 the commandment in the Bible talks about, you know, love God and love your neighbor. That's right. You know, I think we, we've gotten to the point where we understand the, the, the vertical and, 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 and loving God, but how often do we, do we really, really work on and work at loving our neighbor, loving our fellow man? Again, no matter the nationality, no matter the, the religion, no matter the ethnicity, no matter where they came from, do you love your neighbor? And sometimes your neighbor is not somebody that you know. 
Right. It's somebody that you you can meet somebody on the street. You could be traveling and meet somebody, you know, that you that you never come in contact with. I mean, but it's just the fact of being able to love somebody because of how much our God has loved us over time, um, down through the years, whether you're reading the Torah, whether you're using the, the Bible, what have you, and how God has continued to show his love to us. Right. And if everyone's created in the image of God, if one really believes it, that's kind of the infrastructure that one needs to love the stranger. If you believe everyone's created exactly. in the image of God, then then you can love the stranger. Exactly. Without question. Well, Kelvin, thank you for such an interesting conversation about so many things, but particularly uh, Daniel 610, not just 610, Daniel 6. And uh, again, thank you uh, for educating me. I, I had never, I mean, I have a beloved nephew named Daniel, but that's the extent of my knowledge of Daniel. <laughs> And uh, so I so when you said uh, last week that you wanted to uh, discuss Daniel, uh, I started reading about Daniel and it's so deep and so fascinating and so profound. So uh, thank you for turning uh, this important part of the Hebrew Bible to onto me. So thank you. Thank you. Anytime. We need to do this more often. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Me too.